Hello, and welcome to the third episode of The Swift Shift. My name is Zachary Brown. I'm your co-host. I'm with Cafe Content, and I am joined by my co-host, Sean Swift. How's your week been, Sean? Uh, pretty well. It's just Tuesday, so it's still early on, but uh, pretty good. I worked all weekend, so I've got the week off to uh, enjoy and do some things. So, so far, so good. Well, and that's kind of what I was asking. Your cadence is kind of like, this is the end of your week because yeah. you have to work through the weekend. Yeah, it's, it's Tuesday, so it's actually, but Tuesday is like my Friday. So Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's when we record. This is like, you're, you're about to go crazy after this. Exactly, yeah. Like, <laughs> the next two days, I'm going to be out drinking and, you know, drinking binges. So, <laughs> on a Wednesday afternoon, you know, you'll see me hitting the bars. There we go. There, way to put that on. Uh, put that on wax, Sean. Way to put that out into the world, Sean. I don't think we've ever talked about where you work. Do you want to tell the people where you work? Because I sure. love that you work. Yeah. So I, I work at the Alamo Draft House. It's it's a big chain now, or not a big chain, but it's a it's an independent movie theater that has become a chain. And so when you go, you can order like food and beers and cocktails while you watch a movie. They do specialty screenings and stuff like that. Like they do a lot of stuff on 35 millimeter prints. They'll bring in older movies and stuff to show that's always pretty cool. But then they also obviously show all of the new releases and stuff like that that are coming out. So it's a it's a cool place to go catch a movie. And they're, I, they're I've only heard about them, but I've I've heard about them in New York. There's probably one in L.A. too. Um, they just opened one in LA. I actually have a, a buddy of mine out there that uh, just got a job working with them. Uh, and he talks, he's the same way. Like, he's like me. Like, he really, it's a good, they're a good company to work for. Yeah, it's a cool spot. And, and you get to go to see movies. Spend. You know, that's I do, the best yeah. part about it. I, yeah, I, I get to, I've, I've, even now, I've started to try to go see like more and more stuff. I, when I first started, I was like, well, I'll still pay for my ticket stuff. And now it's like, you know what? I'm going to go catch this one for free. So. Right. <laughs> so this is the Swift Shift. You can catch us on iTunes, on Google Play, on Spotify. Um, I've really gotten some good feedback from our first two episodes. A lot of people have enjoyed it. How has the fame been for you? Have you has it been hard to get out of your house because people recognize you? You know, podcast? you try to, you want to go out and really be nonchalant about it. You know, yeah, you know, you just want to take your dog for a walk, and the the press is out there just trying to take pictures of you and stuff like that, and it's really. You know what can you do except you know smile and nod and, and yeah sign a few autographs. That's all really you could do. But you're just trying to live your you know just live trying, your day. Yeah, I'm, you know I'm yeah. I'm a recluse. Like I, I kind of <laughs> like to be on my own. But you know you uh, you take the pros and the cons with the the life you lead. Yeah. So our first two episodes were kind of all encompassing episodes about one movie that we've seen. Um, yeah. specific, specifically, they've been Tarantino movies, but as going forward, we may do Tarantino movies, we may do other movies, right. but we thought it would be fun to do kind of a rundown of what we've seen this year, what yeah. we've liked so far, what's interesting. 
I think that look, we're doing a, a top five list in at the end of August. Is that when you should do your top five list? I don't know. I don't make the rules, and I don't follow the rules. So this is when we're gonna do our top five lists, not only in movies but in TV shows. There's been a lot of crap out there lately, Sean, but there's been a lot of good stuff too, right? Yeah, every year it's always a mixed bag, and they always will try to like hold what they think are the very like best of the best until November, December. That's when like the big Oscar contenders come out and stuff like that. But there have been some really great movies that have come out up to this point, some great TV shows that have come out up to this point. So, uh, you know, there's definitely been some not so great things, but I, I think this has been a really solid year so far. I agree. And one thing that you won't hear on any of the lists that we do today is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> Lord knows we spent enough time on that the last episode. If you it's... want to hear our thoughts on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, please check out episode two. We'd love yeah. to. Exactly. Yeah, please. That's how we split it. So Sean is going to do his five movies that he is most interested in talking about right now. And I'm going to do five TV shows. I think that the division of labor, especially this year, has been, I haven't really been able to go to a movie theater and see a movie as much as I've wanted to. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know if it's because it's a whole lot easier to see interesting stuff at home now. With Netflix, with Hulu, with Amazon Prime, you're really getting a bunch of interesting stuff, even some interesting movies that you don't have to go to the movie theater for. Yeah, um, absolutely. I sacrifice uh, like what I love about the movie theater by not going to the movie theater though, you know? Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a weird time uh, right now because as you said, like you've got all these streaming services that are putting out pretty solid original content. And if you go see a movie, it's, it's almost like an event. I mean, you know, like if you look at uh, once upon a time in Hollywood, for example, you know, like there was just a lot of buildup around that and it's still playing and stuff like that. Uh, but most movies, they kind of come and go. I mean, it's it's turning into like if you go see a movie, it's the Avengers or it's a Tarantino movie or something. Whereas everything else, it's like, oh, well, I can, you know, I can check this out on Netflix in, you know, a, a month or so. And it's it's just it's easier now to get content that way. But I, I am still very adamant about the theatrical experience and everything that I talk about today, I have seen on the big screen. So probably multiple times. Some of them. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and I don't want to get into a whole essay about it, but the, the idea of art being a long lasting thing where you think about it, you mull it over in the, in the ancient times of the 90s, when I would buy a CD, I would wear that CD out and listen to it a hundred times, internalize it, like memorize the lyrics. And really, art isn't consumed in that way anymore. You kind of watch something, you you consume it, and then you go on to the next thing. It's a weird time to be someone who thinks about it a lot, you know, yes, someone it, who absolutely. Ref, ref, reflects on what they've seen. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, you talk about CDs, like I, uh, within the past couple of years, have become a big vinyl guy. That's, you know, sort of made a comeback. And I, you know, I don't even have a CD player in my car anymore. So if I buy like a new album, then it's on my, my phone. But if I go to like buy music, I will go down to the record store and like dig and find, you know, records that I like and consume them that way. Sean, you're you're an insufferable vinyl guy. 
<laughs> you're killing me. I, I yeah, I've got a I've got a big collection of soundtracks in there that I'm very proud of. <laughs> so I have three friends, Scott, Nate, and Matt, who love vinyl. My friend my friend Scott does this thing, and it's actually really cool on Instagram. Whatever record he's listening to that day, he takes a picture of it beside the record player there's a lot of like praise and kind of it's almost a religious feeling when they take a record out of a sleeve and put it into the record and i have lost all those trappings i love my spotify subscription i love that i have access to generations of music whenever i want it and I try to keep reminding myself that. But anyway, you see how I took that and made it into a whole essay and, and diatribed did. it a little bit? <laughs> you yeah. did, yeah. Yeah, I, well, I that's what the people love. Like soul music and stuff like that that just, you know, it sounds just chef's kiss on vinyl. <laughs> it's got that warm feeling. It's it really does, just, yeah. you know. Just sitting by a fire in December, you know, it just warms yeah. you right up when you when it's the needle f- hits the record, you know. <laughs> Free range artisanal music. All right, let's get to what we're here for. Chapter one, La Cinema. Tim Allen off home improvement, intelligent, but we going stupid. This new shit, hit strip club, see some hoes that I went to school with. <laughs> cool. Okay, so what's the, what's the first movie do you want to talk about? Do you want to do it as a quality measure? Do you want to say this is number five? How do you want to do it? So I, Yeah, so I've got five. I'll start at number five and work my way down. So number five is Midsummer. It's from Ari Aster, the guy that directed Hereditary, which I, I really enjoyed that one, too. I thought that was a great, creepy, uh, like, it's a family drama with with. A lot of horror aspects. It got under my skin. It creeped me out. And so this was his sophomore film. All right. So this movie was billed as a horror movie, like this horror masterpiece and all that. And it's a folk horror. So the whole premise is that uh, the this group of friends go out to Sweden for like a, a vacation. And when they get there, they find themselves sort of trapped in a, in a nightmarish situation they've sort of been lured out there and right and and just like hereditary we have to be careful about what we say because there are there are things that are great about his movies yes. that you don't know until you actually see the movie right. i saw hereditary and you know me i'm not the biggest horror fan but i did love that film yeah i i thought hereditary was fantastic and i that's a Subgenre of horror that I'm I'm a fan of. I I think that a lot of the things that they have done in cinema with that has just been very creepy. And with Midsummer, I had some issues with the film, but I really liked it. I will say this though, I found the film to play more as a dark comedy than a horror movie. You know, it's it certainly got the tropes of a horror film and and, and whatnot, but for me, it just played a little bit more as a dark comedy. Now that said, is it funny? Is it funny? Yeah. Oh, it's very funny. Yeah, it's hilarious. Dark comedy, mind you. I mean, it's you know, it's not like yeah, yeah but it's yeah. It's, a, it's a dark comedy. But Midsummer, all in all, I, I, it's a really, really solid sophomore effort, and the lead actress in it, Florence Pugh, is absolutely fantastic that's the second film i've seen her in this year the other was uh fighting with my family which is the wwe movie about the female uh, superstar Paige, and she plays Paige. 
And she, oh, I didn't know it was the same actress. It's the same actress, yeah. Wow. And she is fantastic in both of them. Like, is there a rock cameo in Midsummer as well? I wish. Boy, you know, if the, rock, <laughs> if the rock had shown up and started laying the smack down on some of these people, I'd five stars right out of the gate, you know. Like it's hot, right it's out of the gate. It definitely would have been number one. It would have been number, you know, we would have held that for last and been like, you know, look, this is uh, the movie of the year here. If you can get to the theater to see the director's cut, it's a longer film, but from what I am hearing, the characters, it's a little richer with the characters, a little deeper. It's, uh, we're in August, but I, I've got a feeling it's going to make my favorites of the year for sure. It's it's, it's five right now, but uh, I, it'll be in my top ten as, as the year as a whole, I think. I, I definitely really enjoyed it. All right, so number four is a film called crawl is this sound it's it's a sean movie is what this is exactly this is is, when i if you built an avenue and built houses (laughs) the wood that the houses were made out of is this movie yes exactly yeah if if i if i were (laughs) buying lots of monopoly i would buy just this whole avenue of crawl this is absolutely my kind of movie this is what i want to go to the theater and see and enjoy so it's directed by Alexandra Aha, who did The Hills Have Eyes and the remake and Piranha, the remake. I You're really not selling enjoyed... me, Sean. You're not selling me hey, already. <laughs> those, those are great movies, my friend. Uh, the originals uh, or the remakes? <laughs> uh, both. I'm, I'm a yeah, fan. Exactly. I'm, I'm a exactly. fan of both. <laughs> so, and it's produced by Sam Raimi, who is my second favorite filmmaker. So the premise here is that it's a daughter that goes down to Florida to find her father in the midst of a hurricane. And when she gets to their old house, they find themselves contained by an alligator in their basement or in, in their crawl space. Hence the title crawl. And right. And that's what I know about this movie. The trailer yeah. kind of tells you that is that this woman is stuck in this house and that she's trying to escape this massive alligator. Yes. Let me ask you this. Yeah. For someone who that that premise, I, I get the premise. I understand it. Yep. Is there something in the in the fabric of this movie that changes that premise? above and beyond that like you can make a good i'm escaping from an alligator movie i get it right is there some is there a different swing to it as the movie goes forward no that's that that's really that's it it is it is pretty cut and dry (laughs) essentially it is just a b movie of these two characters trying to not only survive a hurricane but survive alligators the father was played by Barry Pepper, who's a great character actor. He's been in stuff like The Green Mile and, oddly enough, Battlefield Earth, which he's not bad in that. The movie's not great, but he's he's fine. He's not the problem. Uh, but it was, it was cool to see him back in something uh, with a little meat on its bone, even, even if that meat sort of gets taken off by Gator Teeth. Thoroughly enjoyed it. It's just a lot of fun. It's, just, it's a summer popcorn movie. It's 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 what you go it's what you go to the movies to see to escape the world for ninety minutes and just watch people fight alligators. So number three, Alita: Battle Angel. So this one was the new one from Robert Rodriguez, 
the notorious independent film director. And it was produced by Jay and written by James Cameron, uh, who is notoriously not independent. He is notoriously <laughs> large, Big budget. the yeah. biggest budget you can possibly fathom. And uh, this was the biggest budget that Robert Rodriguez has ever gotten to work with. The story is based on a manga. So there's a lot of material there. And I went and saw this opening night. I went and saw it on like the equivalent of the IMAX screen. The premise here is that it's a girl who is like a cyborg type character. She gets put back together by this doctor. She's not quite sure who she is. And it's very like cyberpunk futuristic. The scientist who finds her sort of becomes her father figure is played by Christoph Waltz, who I'm always a fan of. You know, most any anytime he's in something, it's usually pretty good. Uh, and this was no different. He's great in it. The girl playing Alita, it's it's all motion capture, played by Rosa Salazar. And it's really fantastic. And I remember And they give her the manga elements of anime characters with the exaggerated yeah. eyes, the big head, that kind they, of thing. They they do. And so that I going into it, I you you led me right into what I was gonna say, which is a great little intro. A lot of people <laughs> had issues with the the big eyes and stuff. And it you know, when I saw the trailers, it never really bothered me too much but it was noticeable it's like okay like she's got some very exaggerated eyes features yeah watch five to ten minutes of it and you don't notice anymore that's not really a focus like once you're in it so i i saw this movie too sean this is one of like one of the movies that you uh have recommended that i've seen and i saw it on a plane going to la okay and if you have an issue with this movie if you have a hot take about this movie you need to get better interests to have hot takes and issues about. I mean, this is the, this. It was a perfect plane movie. Like yeah. the it was, you know, it's not the greatest piece of cinema in the world. Right. There's like a sports element where you get to watch them play a sport that you don't know the rules to. She, she's the exaggerated features are because she's a robot, so she's right. not going to look exactly like a human. Right. And uh, Christoph Waltz is doing his Christoph Waltz thing. Like, uh, And there's some plot that I forgot that there's some reason that she's got to overcome something, which is what that movie should be. That's and I think it, it, it did it be did better than like Far From Home with with making me care about whether or not she was going to overcome the obstacles that she had in front of her. You know, it's it's that it's going in and enjoying the the popcorn and this world and the action sequences so yeah another one that i i really enjoyed it i think that a lot of people kind of slept on it it the reviews were sort of a mixed bag i i i recommend i don't it. think I, it it didn't make a bunch of money right it wasn't a very popular film yeah i think it may have come close to you know you put <laughs> breaking even <laughs> breaking even yeah. yeah um i think that they are trying to build it up as like a trilogy and because the first one didn't do as well as they'd hoped, like now we may not get the trilogy. I, I hope that we do. Um, you I really want to see a second movie of this? Look, I enjoyed the movie. I don't know if it would make, you know, my top 20 movies. Yeah. But you seem to really, really enjoy it. 
Oh, I um, yeah, no, I, t- I totally dug it. And I mean, the ending kind of, you know, I don't want to spoil it, but there, it kind of leaves you with like, okay, like what's going to happen next. It's a little bit of a cliffhanger ending. So at least give me one more, you know, give me, <laughs> give me the seat, at least one sequel, just so I can, you know, be like, all right, I'm cool. All right. So uh, number two, I'm going to get away from the popcorn movies on this one and go for Richard Linklater's Where'd You Go, Bernadette. Another one that people had issues with. Yeah. And and understandably so. I, you know, I can, I I can, the movie's not perfect by any means. Hit me a little bit differently uh, because earlier this summer, my mom passed away. And so the, the premise of the film, it's based on a novel where Kate Blanchett plays this woman, Bernadette, who she's an artist who has sort of gotten away from creating. She's got this family now, but she's essentially not very happy. But there's a lot of stuff between her and her daughter where they are very close. Daughter at one point tells the father figure that her mom is her best friend. And that, you know, like while he was off being a workaholic, that they they had like this great life together. And so it just like that hit me. I was like, my mom and I were very close. And so I just I connected with that quite a bit. But, the you know, the movie's a little bit clunky at times. Like there's sort of some odd choices that are made. But the the core, the heart and the soul of the movie I really think works. I mean, the, the, the heart and the soul is that you're an, if you're an artist, you need to be creating. If you are a family person, like you've got these connections with these people and it's just, you know, how, how do you make that work? And if you've seen Richard Linklater's other films, he's really terrific at hitting those human qualities in his characters, you know, like dazed and confused and Bernie stuff it's these great rich characters and this one was really it was no different uh you know very rich meaningful characters and so i i actually got to go to a screening of this where richard linklater actually like presented the film and did a q a which was uh, a thrill was, <laughs> was that at the draft house uh no that was actually at his theater in austin the austin film society cinema and so they did like the the Austin premiere, and so he he went up and presented it, and then they did like a, a Q and A afterwards. And the film was like two hours and two hours and some change. Uh, he actually said that there was like a three hour cut of the film that he thought was really good. I've got a feeling that that's the cut that you know we're all going to be longing to see. Uh, because I you think mean that, that Sean Swift is going to be long? That's, that's to see. The, that Sean, yeah. Sean Swift is like sitting in his recliner with his pipe in his mouth. Oh man, um, really, like, really, really wish I could catch that extended version. Yeah, like you know, like what you know, double feature Alita two and the four hour cut of Where'd You Go, Bernadette? You know, <laughs> make a night. Uh, like, all right. Yeah. So anything, anytime you base a movie on a book. People are going to say, oh, he left this out. He didn't portray yeah. this correctly. It's really hard to, to turn a novel. It's a, a tightrope. Yeah. Very, very rarely is the film better than the novel because with the novel, you just have so much more room to develop all of these things, these characters and stuff like that. And then you have to cram and condense that down into 90 minutes or two hours into a movie. And so just oftentimes it doesn't work or it's just not quite as good. I haven't read the book, so 
I can't comment on that. Uh, you know, I, I think that it's another hit for Linklater. So I'm going to ask a question here. Yep. And, you know, your mother passed away, so you had a connection to the movie. Yes. Um, I, I give my condolences in private, oh. not in public, you know. Sure, you know. yeah. Um, okay. But I did want to ask you, so you had a something personal in your life that related to this movie. Yes. Do you... That it makes me wonder when someone sees a part of their life or themselves or people who look like them right. in a movie, it makes them like that movie more because they they see themselves in it. Did sure. you were you aware of that while you were watching it? Do you think that you if you had not experienced the the dramatic loss that you had that you would have liked the movie as much? I think so. Because again, like you've just the, the connection that I had with it was the closeness between the mother and the daughter. Sure. And you had uh, that. And I had that. And, you know, yeah. like, the father was a workaholic, but, like, he wasn't a bad father. And I just feel like, you know, people that go and see it, the emotional core to it should ring true with numerous audiences. Linklater's mother, oddly enough, we, we his mother passed away. The film was dedicated to her. And so I actually talked to him, like, after the film. And it was just like, hey, like, I understand. You know, like, I, you wow. know, we, yeah, we, we had, like, a, a really interesting conversation. It was, I mean, it was short and sweet. It was just sure. it was two guys, you know, I understand what you're going through and it, it's tough, but, you know, you'll get there. And uh, Yeah, you, you couldn't know, have it, recorded that for the podcast, huh? You couldn't have I sacrificed could, yeah. a little bit for the team. No, I'm just yeah. joking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Security was all over me, like white on rice. So number one is Dragged Across Concrete. This is a film by... S. Craig Zoller. His, his previous two works were Bone Tomahawk and Brawl and Cell Block 99, which I thoroughly yeah. enjoyed. I, I'm a big yeah, fan. I'm sure you did. I'm sure you love those <laughs> movies. All right. So just so we're clear, Sean, you're saying this is this is the your favorite movie that you've seen all year, minus uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, because we're not including that. It's it's right up there. Yeah. It's a great, it's a good like old fashioned cop drama character study. Uh, Tell them who's in this movie, Sean. <laughs> we're going yeah, exactly. we're to we're have to have another chapter on. Uh, <laughs> so the film stars Mel Gibson and Vince Vaughn as these two. They it's hard. They're, they're considered to be racist cops. They're not necessarily good cops, but they're right. not out they're not out spouting like racist dialogue and stuff. It's not like Django and chain, but with Mel Gibson, you know, it's they're 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 cops that again, they're a little rough around the edges and, and how they handle situations. They've been on the force a little too long. The two of them decide that they are going to rob a criminal to get money because, you know, his, his they wife need money because they they need money of, yeah. yeah and his wife uh has like multiple sclerosis she's got a disease that ha has disabled her so that's sort of like the the print the, the main premise is it a caper movie where you follow the crime they plan for it that kind of stuff no no it's more it's really it's almost like an old like 70s like detective movie not seeing this movie <laughs> I've, I've seen bone tomahawk 
what I can what I can imagine to prepare people who haven't seen the movie who might go and see it is that there's going to be a large amount of violence. There's going to be a large amount of blood. You say that the cops aren't racist, but I bet that there's some activity <laughs> not not seen in seeing this movie that some people might confuse as racist, or how about is actually racist. That the the third part feasibly is true. Uh, <laughs> third part. Let me take the third part first. Fourth yeah. part second. <laughs> yeah, let's let's break this down into bits. <laughs> They're not good cops, right? You know. And that's not the point. We've talked about this before. How you can right. have bad people be your protagonist. And and with Craig Zoller's work, that's you know, with Bone Tomahawk, all of the characters are adherently good. In Brawl and Cell Block 99, most of the characters are adherently bad, and yet you you still find yourself rooting for Vince Vaughn. So Dragged Across Con- Concrete, it's like Grindhouse meets Arthouse, because his films are deliberately like slower paced. The violence typically doesn't come till near the end of the thing, so it's not like violent throughout. Uh, with Dragged Across Concrete, it's got violence. It is significantly less violent than his first two works. So Zoller uh, is a novelist as well. And when I was watching this, it honestly kind of felt like watching a novel. And what I mean by that is there's a, a chunk of the movie where it actually goes to another character at one point who seemingly has no big part in the story. And then you come back to mel gibson and vince vaughn and the crime but that chapter that you that sort of comes out of left field falls into the whole story it's great you kind of make me want to see the movie now i had no interest in seeing this movie and now i kind of want to see the movie and that's why i started this podcast with you sean because i didn't need i don't need more takes about endgame you know what i mean i don't i don't need you know you to tell me your opinion about Things that people have already voiced it a bunch of times. Right. So just just so that everybody knows, give us the the your top five movies. Okay. So just to to recap, number five, Midsommar. Number four, Crawl. Number three, Alita: Battle Angel. Number two, Where'd You Go, Bernadette? And number one, Dragged Across Concrete. Chapter two, The Revolution was streamed no that fucking sucks (laughs) (laughs) so i like i said i i haven't had a lot of opportunity to go to the movie theater and i'm gonna amend that i actually probably have been able to get to a movie theater but I haven't. So these are kind of my top five TV shows that I've seen this year that I've really enjoyed. And I'm going to start out with number five. Okay. And it was the last season of this TV show. So the entire series ended. And the name of this TV show is You're the Worst. You know anything about You're the Worst, Sean? I do not. I've heard good things, but like you with films, I've not been able to sit down and watch the TV shows as much. So I'm, I'm pretty... Uh new to this one so you're the worst tell, tell us all about it all right don't cuss at me on the podcast okay i'm, I'm not sorry <laughs> no, i'm, I'm dragged across you're... concrete mode still i apologize <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> you're the worst is an interesting tv show and it's kind of the, a more insular 
um, choice because not a lot of people, it seems like not a lot of people watch this TV show. It's on FX and it's characters that the title says it all. You're not going to like these people, um, but it's, it's very funny. They're very witty. It's about a author who is sometimes successful, sometimes not successful and a producer a music producer maybe she's an agent sometimes her jobs change which is weird on the tv show they're surrounded by friends who are sometimes they're in a relationship of sorts sometimes they're not that's the thing about this tv show is that it's has its moments of you don't know what's going on but the interactions between the characters are what matters most so you'll get kind of the talky quick joke thing that you'll get from 30 rock but as accessible as 30 rock which is saying something because 30 rock wasn't really that accessible if i if i'm trying to sell you if i'm trying to get you to watch this tv show i don't think there's that much to really say about it what you have to do is like getting to know characters watching them develop throughout the years and watching them make mistakes with each other and do it on purpose sometimes where they're hurting somebody's feelings and they know that they're doing it and how that person reacts. And sometimes they'll tell a joke and then sometimes they won't tell a joke and it'll really hurt them. They'll suffer depression. They'll uh, have random sex with people. It's, it's a really weird TV show that I can't recommend more. I really fell in love with the characters. The creator's name is Stephen Falk. The, there are there is nobody to shout out here. There is no like, oh, Keanu Reeves is in this for five <laughs> seconds. It's, there's yeah. none of that. They're not trying to grab headlines with this. Okay. I will I will say that people love the TV show Friends and they love the the Ross character. Um, mm-hmm. I don't even know his his last name. I'm not a big Friends the, uh, fan. That's David Ross. Schwimmer in this house. Yeah, David Sh- Sure. So Schwimmer. there is a. Hispanic military veteran on this show who looks like the Hispanic version of David Schwimmer and is way (laughs) funnier than him and is a way better friend. And just uh, like, I want everybody to watch this show, but I know they won't because it's a very weird show. Um, I like David Schwimmer. But go see You're the Worst. Go find it. It's on FX and the FX app sucks. So you're going to have to like wait for it to get on the Hulu or something. But it's great. Okay. Okay. My number four choice is Mind Hunter. I, I can assume you've seen Zodiac. Oh, of course. I love okay. Zodiac. Yeah. I bet you've seen the director's cut of that too, haven't you? I sure sat have. there for four and a half hours <laughs> to watch that mess. Um, Are you judging me for watching the longer? Let me, the I'm always silently judging you, Sean. Always <laughs> I, silently judging you. I, as a director, want to see what the directors want to give us. So if you know, if David Fincher's like, here's, you know, five hours of Zodiac, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to dive right in. I'm going to go in the deep end with it. Save your money, Sean. He gives <laughs> you five hours of Zodiac in Mindhunter. So Fair enough. the basic premise of Mindhunter is that they're trying to create a behavioral pattern, something to study for these multiple murderers. They start calling them multiple murderers that they eventually call them serial killers. Um, And they do that by interviewing people who have been caught. So interviewing serial killers who are in jail. 
That's the basic premise. Really easy. It could be a really shell of a show where each episode you talk to a different serial killer. And it's kind of how the show goes. It really is. The difference is, A, you have David Fincher filming things when they're interviewing some famous serial killer maybe the the focus of the camera is on the tape recorder or you know a light that's flickering in in his classic david fincher way right Um, and then you start to wonder what does recording this what is this going to do and then as the serial killer and these two fbi agents interact you start to see how the interaction is a feeding the serial killer. Like he hasn't been able to kill anybody, but he has this attention on himself. He can talk about his story in this thing. And then B how the serial killer is influencing the, the FBI agents. Hmm. So you have, you have kind of the classic setup. You have the, the tough guy who's been on the force for a while. He's can't really see how this is going to help anything. And then you have this straight-laced guy, and all he is is about the work, and all he wants to do is is learn from these serial killers. And then he starts getting a little taste, and maybe he likes them, and maybe he understands where they're coming from. And all of this, you know, it isn't said out loud, but you can kind of see his eyes grow wide. Hmm. That's Yeah, so that's season one. It was a great setup. It's a, it's a great season. Season two is really interesting. Character that was in season one, a side character, becomes more, you get more of her story. We get to see who her lovers are. We get to see how she's interacting with the FBI and how she's interacting with specifically the behavioral department. And she becomes so much of an interesting character. But the best thing about season two, Sean, is that it's in Atlanta. And they were... It, there were these Atlanta child murders, and that's not the best thing about the season, but but it puts it it puts it in a specific place. It yeah, gives you okay. a, a sense of place, a sense of time, and season two of Mindhunter kind of starts off with the thesis that everyone is racist, and that <laughs> and that you you might be seeing a serial killer and you might be seeing an institutional racism and you don't know which one you're seeing it's oh, wow. really yeah it really takes it up a level from season 1 mindhunter was amazing in season 2 i i can't recommend it more multiple scenes or multiple uh storylines that involve crosses and crucifixion and the the religious crossover with that was really interesting it does the most it can do in a tv show which that's all you can ask for all right so i'm gonna i'm gonna take a a left turn here for number three it's the terror so basic premise they are trying to find the northern pathway from the Atlantic Ocean to China because the people that figure that out will be able to rule the world. It's it's set in in the past. It's set in yeah. history. Yeah. So they're they're on these like really creaky boats, and of course they get stuck in the ice on the pathway. That's all I'm I can say about it. Because yeah. 
there are things that happen in this TV show that if you know that it's coming ahead of time, it's going to ruin the entire TV show for you. You never know where you are in the terror and you're always in one place. So it's, it's very confusing. The landscape is, is ice and snow and it blends in with the sky. So it's almost like they're acting on a white backdrop. Um, like they're waiting for Godard or something like that. The way that people get driven insane when they are stuck in a boat with each other for years and years is really cool. And then there's this other element. There's this other maybe mystical, maybe science fiction element that I'm not going to talk about, but is injects itself in a very subtle way. It's okay. it's not a sci-fi series, you know. It's they're right. really it's, trying yes. to investigate. <laughs> It's the terror. What happens when you starve to death? Exactly. Yeah. The next two TV shows may have a chance to change the way TV show TV shows are being made. I'm going to start with number two. Number two is Chernobyl. This is from HBO. Mm -hmm. It also has Jared Harris as a lead character. And Chernobyl is exactly what you think it is. It's about the Chernobyl. Well, to call it an accident is one way to say it about the, <laughs> yeah. the, yeah, the meltdown of the nuclear reactor in Chernobyl and mm -hmm. the lives that cost when that happened. It's about trying to figure out what to do in this thing that has never happened before. And you're a Russian scientist and you're trying to navigate the bureaucracy of the USSR without getting your head cut off. And you're trying to save lives. And you're also trying to save your own life because you're in Chernobyl as well. And it, it takes the inner workings of the USSR and melds it with the dramatic lives of the characters. Feels like you're walking through these people's lives. Um, wow. Yeah. Okay. And, and here's the thing, Sean. When, when uh, an incident like this happens, it affects the land that it's on for tens of thousands of years. So that land will never be the same. You can put whatever cement shell on it that you want to, but you have to think about if like, let's say Sean is the czar of the USSR. God, I know those things are all mixed up. <laughs> what do you do? What, how do you, what do you do for tens of thousands of years? And then what information can you give out? Because remember, you're kind of in this, um, Cold War with America, and you don't want to see you don't want to seem weak with America. What information do you let out? And then, if you're the scientist, at what point do you make your life worthless? At what point do you say, "I don't care the pressures that I'm under. I don't care that the KGB is following me. I don't care that not only is my life in danger, but the lives of the people that I love are in danger." When do you start speaking the truth? And it really gets to that. And what makes it salient, what makes it urgent as a TV show, is when lies get treated like truth, the world is affected by that. Realities are changed if we decide to treat people's lies, treat people's falsehoods like gospel. And, and if you make a decision on someone's lie... Even if your decision is the truth, because you based it on a lie, every consecutive decision after that is wrong because you based it on the core lie. It's it un unfolds like that, Sean. It's it's a wow. really beautiful piece of work. That so 
I that one is one that has sort of been at the top of my list to watch. I've not seen anything on it. You know, I said I was going to go uh, binge drinking on my days off, but maybe I will go <laughs> Chernobyl binging. You know, <laughs> you can believe me. There's a lot of drinking in the TV show too, so you can maybe go shot for shot if you want. Yeah, to. yeah. <laughs> one more thing I'll say about Chernobyl is that there's an amazing accompanying podcast that uh, interviews the director. He tells you what decisions he's made, like what is true in the TV show, what things he had to do for convenience, and what things he had to do for plot lines. There is a, sci- a woman scientist character that instead of having 20 scientists, which is what was actually true, you had one character saying these lines because you have to make a TV show and you have to, you know, uh, infuse it with drama. I chose not to look up the history while I was watching the TV show because I wanted to be surprised. Yeah. But I've I know that people like follow along with it while they're reading about the actual incident. The core the the reason to watch the TV show is because I'm not trying to get political, but when people treat lies as the truth, it's yeah. not it's not it's not like you know, the only thing that happens is that you see a weird post on Facebook that you ignore. It's that some people base decisions on that. And if you base one decision on it, and there are other decisions, there are other dominoes that fall based on the falsehood, it can really mess things up. And that was what was great about it. It's really funny. I didn't even think about this, but my number one TV show that I've seen this year is Russian Doll. And it has <laughs> nothing to do with Russia. <laughs> <laughs> so I know it's Natasha Leone who I've been a fan of for quite a while now. I remember back in like the early 90s I saw her in American Pie and Slums of Beverly Hills. Slums of Beverly Hills. I love that's that a, movie. That's a great one. Yeah. And I yeah. uh so I'm I'm very intrigued to see it cuz like I said I'm I'm a Natasha Leone enthusiast. So Yeah, one... and she is allowed to take over the screen. She she yeah. is the She's the main character. The reason to watch the show is is to see her interact with the characters in the show. Mm-hmm. There is a second person who becomes more of a protagonist in the show, but maybe that you just don't know where they connect or what why we're following this person. Mm-hmm. The the conceit of the show, the really the only thing that I can tell you about the show is that she relives the same day over and over. It's Groundhog Day. Okay. It's Groundhog Day. Yes. Now, okay. why why it's Groundhog Day? How it happens to be Groundhog Day? You get little insights, and maybe it's this, and maybe that it's a, a vagina shaped piece of art in a bathroom that's making it happen. It's a puzzle that you're trying to put together, and while you're trying to put it together, you get these amazing interactions between characters that you don't see a lot on screen. It's it's not only is she trying to figure out why this is happening to her, but the people in her life are trying to figure out why are you acting so weird? Not only why are you acting so weird, but why are you angry? Those interactions, and also maybe, and I don't know this, but it seems to me like there's a connection with this park in New York. Some people call it a riot, some people call it a protest, but it was a LGBT gathering that people, police beat people. And Sean, there's there's very little evidence that this park is connected to anything, except that your eye is drawn to it every time she passes it. the The way the camera lingers on it is is interesting. You, I I really want you to see this just because of how they shoot 
um, Natasha Lyonne and how they shoot that part of New York. I really, really enjoyed uh, Russian Doll and I certainly wasn't alone. And it's coming on back very soon. I'm very excited about it. Uh, one thing to point out, too, on top of Lyonne being the star, uh, she also created the show, which I think is kind of fascinating. So I'm... with with Amy Amy Poehler, who's an amazing oh, woman in her own right, yeah, very very much so, yeah. So some yeah. some real some real uh, heavy hitters. I'm really interested for you to see it and to see, to hear what you think about it. So those are my five shows. I'm gonna run through them again real quick. Number five is You're the Worst. Number four is Mindhunter. Number three is The Terror. Number two is Chernobyl. And number one is Russian Doll. So those those are my recommendations for TV shows. I'm really excited about some TV, TV shows that are coming up. Do you have any recommendations for movies that are that are about to come out that you're interested in seeing? Yeah. Uh, so they took Francis Ford Coppola's Apocalypse Now from 1979 and did what they're calling the final cut. I really dug it. It's got like the 4K treatment. So it's like a classic with a new shine. I know the big one right now that I'm really looking forward to is The Irishman, the new Martin Scorsese movie. It's going to be a Netflix film, but it's also going to have a, kind of a short theatrical run. Sean, tell the people what you're working on. Tell the people where they can find you. Okay, so maybe in October, I think is what we're looking at. I'm going to be directing sort of not a, a teaser trailer, kind of a sizzle reel for a sci-fi TV series that a friend of mine has created. That's I've awesome. actually sort of like a throwback to like the 1950s, like invasion of the body snatchers and stuff like that. But then it's got some stuff with like today's political climate going. Uh, it's got a lot of humor to it, but then it's got like the sci-fi element to it. It's uh it's a cool little mishmash. I'm excited uh, to, to, to do it. And, and so, yeah, that's kind of the big stuff right now. But if you want to find my personal stuff on Instagram, it's Sean S H A U N W Swift. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. We haven't decided which movie we're going to deep dive on our next episode. So if you follow at the 85 pod on either Instagram or Twitter, we will tell you what we're going to talk about on the next episode. So you can keep up with that. You can also keep up with new episodes on either of those handles. Please rate us and review us. Um, it'd be great if it was five stars. Not so great if it was two stars. In fact, don't rate us if it was two stars. Yeah, if it's no, two just, stars, just, just, just leave it alone. You know, don't just bother verbally, yourself. Just... Sean, I think there's only one way to end this episode. What's that? See, now I'm thinking maybe it means you're the evil man and I'm the righteous man. And Mr. Nine Millimeter here, he's the shepherd protecting my righteous ass in the valley of darkness.